perfect love, all human thought transcending. Lowly we kneel in prayer before thy throne, that theirs may be the love which knows no ending, whom thou forevermore dost join in one. Anybody know that hymn? I bet it's been a while since you heard it or sung it. The last time I sang these words was at a wedding in Chennai, India, a very traditional Christian wedding. Most of the service was spoken or sung in Tamil, but the hymns and the vows weren't just in English, but they were thoroughly British. Oh, perfect love. Now, in 1883, Dorothy F. Gurney dared to coin a new name for God, perfect love. In three verses of her hymn, she wrote a prayer for a perfect marriage filled with faith, love, joy, and peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit. But she wasn't entirely lost in a romantic ideal. She also prayed for patient hope and quiet, brave endurance. She must have been writing from personal experience. In 1 John chapter 4, John the Elder describes a perfect love flowing from God, who John says is love, a high ideal of love lived in this world. John even says this love is to be perfected in us. God's intention is that we reach perfection in love. And surely none of us is or ever will be perfect. Perfect. An adjective that we can safely use for God, O perfect love, capital P, capital L, but it's not for us at least not without an asterisk and a footnote. Something like the accuracy of the word perfect is not guaranteed when applied to human beings. Our one reason, though, that we have trouble with the word perfect, the concept of perfection, is our natural tendency to respond to a challenge assuming that it's up to us to conquer the challenge or to work our way toward meeting the challenge. And maybe we try, more likely we say we're not up to it. And sometimes we look at our lives as they are and we're reasonably kind to ourselves. We'll say, we're pretty good people. We do our best, we do the right thing, we try to do the Christian thing. What more could God, could God want from us? Perfection? No. Thank God, God forgives. And some faithful people live in fear afraid they will fall short of God's mark, and they can never do enough to satisfy God's demands. And so they burn out doing good things, or they give up, and they rust out. Perfect in love, impossible. Now, perfect is an important word in the Bible. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that verse has literally sent generations of Christians into despair. And when a man tells Jesus he has kept all of God's commandments, what more could God want? Jesus answers, if you wish to be perfect, 
Go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, if that's what's required, who among us would volunteer for that? We are comfortable leaving meeting that challenge to Mother Teresa's followers and Jean Vanier. Perfect. And in the Old Testament, it means without spot or blemish, clean, fit, and reserved for worship, which eliminates almost everything that could be offered to God. But in the New Testament, the word, the image of perfection, the word perfect, carries different meanings. And one of those connotations refers to an arrow hitting its target. Bullseye, perfect. I once took part in an event where a retired missionary was the speaker. The stage was empty except for a lectern and a tree. Now it was made of wood dowels, kind of resembled the very, very first artificial Christmas trees, the ones with the pole up the middle and then the branches that you stuck into the holes and you could always see the pole up the middle. Well, this was obviously a tree. We, we, we granted her a little license on that. So as we sang a very rousing hymn with lots and lots of verses before she was to speak, the missionary removed all the leaves and all the branches until only the trunk remained. And then she took some of the leaves and put them in notches at the top of that trunk so they came to a point. And then she pulled the trunk out of the stand and put leaves like feathers on the other end of it. And it was a spear or a really big arrow. And then she went on to talk about perfection in the New Testament sense. She shared her story of commitment, of challenge, of reward and loss, and how God worked in her life to perfect her in service and love. Then I read her autobiography and she confessed that she was far from perfect in the usual sense of that word. But she looked back on her life and understood how it all came together to make her what God wanted and needed her to be. Perfect. Now that was a long time ago. Today we might not use a weapon as an example, maybe something else that over time becomes perfectly suited to do what it was made to do. I'm working in a new pair of shoes right now, and my hope is that they will stretch and mold to fit my foot. I will probably, in fact, I know it's guaranteed, I will scuff them before they're molded to fit my feet, but no matter how they look when that time comes, they will fit and serve their purpose perfect. John says the spirit of perfect love is within us, activating us and setting us free to love. To love, to practice loving till it's our very nature to love. But John says God is love. He means it is God's nature to love us. And God makes us able to reflect that nature 
to love as God loves. Which is not to say it's easy or without cost. But it's not up to us to generate the energy, the will to love. And love isn't perfected in us instantly all at once. It's easy. It's easy to say we love people we don't have to live with every day. So we can come to church and affirm our love for all the people in the world, but the person sitting next to us, that takes some work. But people we know, with all their faults and failings, the people who are closest to us, we can find it in ourselves to love them too. And it's tough to look out into this world as it is, to look out into this world with love. We can still find beauty and grace. It doesn't help that we're inundated every day with bad news, grievance, outrage, messages that want to make us tune out, turn away, and hide. But we can't. Perfect love can live in a broken heart. Perfect love can fuel holy rage for good purposes. Perfect love can absorb pain, but never causes it with the intention to hurt. We grow in perfect love when we recognize the givenness of life. We live, thrive, and survive by grace, not by our own efforts, and not alone. Maybe it's easier to accept that on a day like today, a glorious day like today. But every day, life is given to us. And we grow in perfect love when we can look and see all that God created and know that God created and God creates in love, that we can see all that God made as one, even people who do things that we hate, even they are fellow human beings, creatures of God, and we can try to cover up and hide from our common humanity, but it won't work. This love works both ways. John says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. But he also says, those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Perhaps the best image of perfect love that we know comes from common human experience. When a child is born. Children are not born blank slates, empty canvases. They bear the image of God. So that means they are pre-programmed to give and receive love. Now we know that many children in this world are not born into love. Far too many learn too early not to love, but they are still born to bond, to be touched, held, loved, nourished. And even before their eyes focus, they can recognize and respond to the people who loved them first. Long before they learn to count, before life teaches them to keep accounts, 
teaches them to believe everything costs something, little ones rejoice in the givenness of everything, even things they see and touch all the time, because every time they see and touch them, they're new. Children have to learn how to hate, and we teach them as they grow to be careful. We have to do that. We also teach them to trust and love their own people. And sometimes they learn that love is a commodity to be doled out carefully and held back whenever possible. And we all learn to be suspicious of ideas like unlimited grace, free forgiveness, and unconditional love. And Jesus says, we have to enter God's kingdom like little children. And John says, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. They're both calling to the child that is still within us somewhere, the child that's already perfect in love, ready to trust, to believe, to share, to love. Knowing how much we must depend on God and one another to live in this world. A little child also knows if she can't see it, it's not real. John says, the commandment we have from God is this. Those who love the invisible God must also love their visible, audible, touchable sisters and brothers. 